Hello and welcome to the Rob Burgess Show. I'm of course your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 219th episode, our returning guest is Ash Burgess. You first heard Ash Burgess on 29 previous episodes. For a complete list, check the show notes. Ash Burgess has a dusty degree in religious studies and an appetite for both high and low culture. She strives to celebrate the best of every season with her young children. Follow her on Instagram at Ash Burgess, all one word, and subscribe to her YouTube channel. A quick programming note. In this episode, we discuss the entirety of the HBO series Six Feet Under, so there will be spoilers throughout. If you haven't seen the show, you really should. And now on to the show. You gonna do our intro? I always feel so self-conscious doing the intro. Why? I don't know. It feels so like I like like when we're like just talking on the podcast. I don't remember that there's an audience usually, but but during the intro, you think about it, you hyper think about it, and that's when you're like, uh. yes. <laughs> I get, I get that. Are you talking on the phone? This is why I have to redo the intro section for my YouTube videos sometimes several times, whereas if things go well, most of it just kind of flows, but it's that it's that part where I'm like, hi, it's me, that like I'll, I'll look back and be like, oh no, I have to redo this, 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 this is not gonna work, yeah, you know? It. Or like I'll misspeak in a way that's like, not even just like an accident that I would normally have, but like, so, in a way that's like very bizarre and that I would never normally like. Right. But welcome back to the Rob Burgess Show, Ash Burgess. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being able to join us. I, I somehow a, was able to make it. Such a commute. It was, it was, you know, I did have to travel here, but here I am. Yeah, and Lilac is here. She has a phone that we recently discovered. Oh, the play phone, yeah. The leapfrog people. So. What's one of those emergency toys that I don't really like them to have a lot, but we pulled it out to hopefully keep her occupied? Mm hmm. So you may hear some phone and, sounds. Yeah. <laughs> I had to put it away because things got too intense about it, but we've pulled it back out so you have something fun to do while me and Daddy are talking for the podcast. Yes. Daddy had a fight. Yes, all the kids had a fight about the phone before, but now now just you are here. The big kids have gone to bed, so you can play happily with that while me and Daddy talk. Here, can I see it? I think there's a lower volume setting. <laughs> I hope. Yeah, I don't know if we thought this through entirely. I cannot talk to the phone. I oh, there we go. You got it. It's a little bit quieter, supposedly. Okay. Um. Okay. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Oh no, Daddy! My phone is not working. <laughs> my phone's not working. Yeah, now it's working just fine. Look. It's see, supposed hello. to be nice and yes, quiet. It's not supposed to be so loud. Okay. Anyway, we are here tonight to talk about a show we just finished rewatching on soon to be HBO Max slash Discovery Plus. And we're gonna have to talk I about that me. whole HBO I shift as well. Mm -hmm. um, yes. But yeah, I just wanted to say I'm so glad we rewatched this show because it's one of my favorites. Yeah. And me it too. has been for a really long time and very good. Classic era HBO show. Yeah, and funny story, I think, you know, when I first watched the, I mean, not really funny story, but I, I think interesting story when it comes to just sort of like how the times change or whatever. When I first watched Six Feet Under, I was watching it maybe 
it was it was still running, but it, it had been going for a couple years, and I was watching the DVDs, but the only way to get the DVDs at that time was through, um, I was getting them from the university library. There was like a special branch of the library that was like a media center. Mm -hmm. And you could borrow the DVDs, but, but this was back when if you wanted a DVD box set of an HBO show, each season was like $100. Mm -hmm. So the only way that they would let you borrow the DVDs was you could only watch them in the media center. Oh yeah. So I was borrowing them like one disc at a time and watching them on the, of course back then my laptop had a disc drive. So I was watching them like sitting in the library with my headphones, watching like, you know, four episodes at a time for, mm. until I got through the whole, you know, I, well I didn't get through the whole series that way, but it was the first couple seasons that I watched that way. That's impressive. Yeah. But at the time, I mean, that was just that was like, all you. That was the only way. That was how precious it was. I mean, if you didn't have HBO, which I did not, and I mean, I suppose perhaps I could have rented it from some blockbuster, maybe. Yeah, maybe. But as far as getting it from the library, it was like you will watch this inside the library. You can't leave the room with this. We don't trust you. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just like that's how like that's how precious the like HBO discs were. Oh, yeah. You know? But it did add, I think, a little bit of a sense of occasion to the experience for me. You know, it definitely wasn't the same as if I had just kind of randomly come upon the show and watched it. You know, in my living room. I think the intentionality of watching <laughs> it that way kind of made me pay attention to it more perhaps than I would have otherwise. And I, I mean, I loved it. It was so good. Yeah, I mean, I was watching The Sopranos on HBO, and I can't remember if they started at the same time or near the same time, or maybe it was like a season or two overlap, or I don't know how the timelines match up. I, I feel like I watched them together. You know, when I was watching Sopranos, I was also watching Six Feet Under. But... I think they were somewhat within the same time range. Yeah, they were, they were I, don't, I don't know that they were exactly starting at exactly the same time. but. And I definitely think The Sopranos was kind of a bigger deal like in pop culture at mm -hmm. the time. It was hyped more. I mean, I know Six Feet Under did really well, but I think it definitely had like a smaller audience maybe. I definitely, though, I, I pretty, I'm pretty sure I watched the um, pilot like when it like the night it dropped or whatever like I'm pretty sure I saw it yeah the original and um, did you like it right away oh yeah yeah it was because uh, but it was kind of like and we'll get it we can get into this more but it was a little bit of a different show than it turned into by the end of course it was and I, I definitely think um as far as who its target audience was I think it was harder to know like who would who the show was for I mean I think I started watching it because my brother who I don't even think watched it, heard about it somehow and told me that he thought I would like it because I was into, like, darker stuff than he was. Like, I was, like, super into, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm -hmm. And so he was like, of course, Ash will like this show about a family of undertakers. Like, mm -hmm. so even the reasons that he told me to watch it probably weren't even the reasons why I ultimately liked it. It just mm -hmm. sort of incidentally, like, spun into being something that I was into. Yeah. But, um... That pilot, though, I feel like they use a lot of, like, the commercials, like, for the products, 
interspersed with like mm -hmm. the drama of the family. Oh, oh, you're talking about how in the first episode yeah. they have, and perhaps if that was the only episode that you had seen, you would f maybe think or perhaps fear that the whole show was going to be like. It's that. not a trope that they like keep up throughout no. the show. Like they they definitely introduce it as an idea just to like kind of get you into the world, I guess, of the story more. I think to get you into the world of the story, and I think that they also do maintain sort of the aspect of people have these kind of like Broadway show-esque fantasy lives that they pop into. And that that keeps going throughout the whole show. Not the commercial aspect, but the aspect of the characters will have a fantasy where suddenly they're doing like a song number or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I know is like your worst nightmare in general, to suddenly have someone be doing like a musical <laughs> number. But it's all in their imaginations. The Fishers yes. have a very musical and... Uh, Kind of fantastical imagination. <laughs> but to me, the thing that's so great about that is that the Fishers are such a repressed family. So it's a really great kind of a... They're Episcopalian, which I definitely understand. Yeah, I mean, that's like the background that you grew up in. Yes. So, so you can kind of understand that. I mean, like, I remember you telling me a story once about how... There was like some people that left a congregation that you were a part of because there was there was some singing, but then it, the singing got too joyful, and for some it was very pleasurable, but for others it was like an offense where they were like, "We can't be a part of this church anymore. It's strayed so far from what we've what we what we like now, or something." And, and who knows what other maybe they had some they other grievances going, going already, and they were waiting for a chance to leave or something. But I do think that that I, I don't think that all Episcopalians are like that repressed, but I do think that there's a certain sense of, like, a quietness. Quiet decorum. And... Yes. And I think the Fisher family definitely represents that kind of side of, like... Oh, sure. Keeping it on the inside. But I think that it's great, then, that the show brings in this fantasy life where they all... It's kind of the exact opposite of that. Mm -hmm. Like, rather than keeping it inside, being quiet, keeping it together... In these fantasy sequences, they're, you know, putting on, like, a Broadway show. They're singing, they're dancing, there's, like, sparkly costumes, things that they would never in their real lives do. Yeah, although David joins the... Game he does join a choir, but... Choir, and I feel also like the he choir was... he joins is, like... It's not exactly, like, popping off. I mean, they're singing very traditional songs in a very traditional way. Well, I like, think they're just trying to attract the largest audience of gay men in the Los Angeles yes, area. Yes, I'm just saying, say. it's, not like, it's not like that choir itself is, like, doing really jazzy. Doing ex like, yeah, experimental. Yeah, like, they're pretty much just singing songs that I would expect to see, like, in a church or something. Yeah, exactly. The only difference is that it's just, like, a big group of gay men. Yes. And speaking of which, I, I do feel like the church politics, especially kind of in the first season there, really play a, a big part in David's storyline, and also to his mom's to a degree, I guess, but when he becomes like a deacon or whatever. Or well, yes, because I mean, we see, I mean, with David's story arc, we see in the beginning of the show, he's closeted, mm -hmm. and which I think is, I think it's also fascinating too, because that show was made really kind so of towards the last... It's so of its time. is kind of towards the last wave of... Um, Some might say a period. When you might... It's not a period made <laughs> temporarily. We don't have to have this I argument. I don't want to have this argument with you now. <laughs> because you're so wrong and it makes me so angry. <laughs> you know half the reason I keep going about this is because I'm angry. I don't think you understand how angry this makes me. A period piece is made we about can, a period that it is not. We can swerve out of this. All right. Anyway, well, I was talking with my sister recently about how 
much certain things have changed just, you know, in my lifetime and even, even not just my lifetime, but even in certain segments of time between, cause I mean, she's almost eight years younger than me. Mm-hmm. So even differences between where the world was on certain issues when she was certain at certain points in her life versus where I was like, for example, I was telling her about how when I was in high school, I think a lot of people were still closeted. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if I look back at people that are people that I, you know, were high, more my high school contemporaries that I know now that are out, a lot of those people were not out back then. Yes, it Where, was more of a revolutionary act to be out at that point like it, in, in history. It was more normal to be closeted at that yes. point. You had more reason to, more legal reason yes. to. Whereas now, though, I think it would almost be considered weird if someone is still closeted past a certain point. I mean, the Supreme Court hadn't even uh, overturned the sodomy laws yet. You couldn't even have gay sex in certain places. Exactly. But so, like, a character like David, at the time that that show came out, he was closeted and that seemed normal. And a lot of people, I think, that were watching that show to enter into the show... He might have been one of the first gay characters that they got to know really well. Oh, yeah. And the fact that he was closeted seemed totally plausible and normal and made sense with the times. So, I mean, I think that's kind of an interesting look at just, you know, where that show, like, where that show was rooted in time when it started. I will say, too, that that whole um, thing with the one congregation he goes to, what's, like, more conservative and the one that's more progressive, that was a... Well, that was Real that was happening then too. That was well, happening well, in the Episcopal Church at the time because of yes, the very well, issue of gay marriage and gay rights and all that. What I think you're what you're referring to is getting back to what we were saying mm-hmm. about his story arc with the church. How when we first meet him, he's a part of a very kind of traditional conservative Episcopal that church. That his mom goes to. Yes, that his mom goes to. I assume he with grew him. up. With, I assume he grew up going his to that church, and he's like the son that like stayed and like you know goes to church with his mom. They bury all the old people. <laughs> right. So I mean, it's kind of for business purposes too. <laughs> yeah, of course. 100%. But it's still it's something that's been a big part of his yeah, life obviously. all along. But he's internalized it. But then now he is dating someone who actually is also an Episcopalian, but goes to kind of the, like, liberal branch of the church, like, across the city where, like, all the gay people are, like, welcome. And so then he's kind of dabbling in going to this other church, and then due to events that, you know, events transpire within his own church, he becomes a deacon, kind of, because he takes over his dad's seat. But then that immediately comes into conflict as far as, you know, his church is trying to be, like, maintain, you know, conservative and... He comes into a position where he's not out, but I think he still feels that it would be a betrayal, you know, to himself. And I, you know, assume to his morals at large to, you know, just kind of toe the line the way they're wanting him to. Mm -hmm. But that was what was really happening, as you were saying, at the time with even like with the Episcopal Church, like for real, there was there was stuff going on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because that was around the time when they were still, I mean, even in the show, I remember they had a storyline about how... The father, the priest of, you know, the, that conservative church, not at the church, but just separately officiated at a commitment ceremony between two women, mm. and the church somehow found out about it, and mm. then were, like, calling whether he could oh, yeah. go on at the church into question. And that was around the time, too, that the church was, like, you know, arguing about whether yeah. or not to 
affirm same-sex commitments and whether, you know, they could have weddings in the church. And I know there was threatening to split. And Well, and then, you know, that's another downstream effect of the legal status because as long as it is against the law and you're not, like, doing the, you're, you know, the commitment ceremony didn't have the same force of law as an actual marriage would. Right. And so they that was used as kind of legal covers to discriminate because they're like oh you're not even doing a real ceremony you know it's like mm -hmm. the law's on our side with this isn't even real like what you're doing and we object to it and it's like you know there there's no this is meaningless what you're doing you're just doing this as but an affront puts, to god or whatever you know and, and it's not even like you're actually marrying these people i think it puts the um and this is kind of a sidebar because i mean the Father Jack, the priest that's mm -hmm. kind of an ongoing character in Six Feet Under, is kind of. I guess I would use the word weenus to describe him, but like. <laughs> but so, I mean, I don't. This, what I'm about to say, doesn't really apply to him, but I think in general, I think that that kind. That tension between, you know, whether or not to perform commitment ceremonies mm -hmm. put a lot of clergy people into a very difficult moral situation if they morally felt like I should perform this commitment ceremony because you know they realize that it's the right thing to do but is it like you're gonna be stripped of your job and then where are you gonna go and it's kind of a narrow career field I mean if you get if you're if you're an Episcopal priest and then you get like tossed for you know going against what you were supposed to do it's not like you can just go to another company and start working. I think you'd mm -hmm. have to start like a new career or something, which I mean, I'm sure some people did. So it, it is, a, it's very, it's a very fraught situation mm -hmm. yeah. to like try to do the right thing and still to try to maintain your overarching goal of doing it within this scenario. But I mean, that's an aside. Cause like I was saying, I mean, I don't know if, I don't know. If, I mean, father Jack, he did perform that one commitment ceremony, but he also, I feel like kind of betrays David over and over again. Mm -hmm. Like, he always kind of dangles the possibility that he's also gay in front of David to sort of get David to open up, almost to, like, try to trick David into outing himself, but then always at the last minute kind of slams the door shut, so it's like, oh no, I was just trying to empathize with you, or oh no, you know, you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean about how he always seems like he's kind of doing that? Well, I mean, remember when David is drinking whiskey or whatever in his office mm -hmm. with him and they were like uh, those people are so uptight and you know then he's like plying him for information exactly like he like, uses he uses the fact that he may or may not actually be gay but seems kind yeah, of gay yeah he never comes out and says it but he just uses the fact that he possibly could be gay to like kind of bait David into like undermining himself or to like you know what I mean? To like exposing himself when maybe he wouldn't have wanted to and to feel like he has support, but then to actually publicly then not give him any support. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. But they were going to bring in a new priest. There was that whole storyline about the new priest that they were going to hire. And he was like, is this guy too liberal? Is he gay? Like, right. Warm, like the ceremonies. <laughs> Yeah, no, that whole thing was very, very uncomfortable. But going back into more of, yeah. like, an overarching, like, we rewatched the show. Yes. Because I feel like we've gone on kind of a tangent just on David, which, I mean, there's a lot to say about him. Yeah, but I do want to talk more about the general rewatching of the show at large. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because there have been other shows that I have loved and rewatched and that have not held up. Mm. I think this show holds up incredibly well, but I also think that this is one of the best shows of all time. It is. It was revolutionary for a lot of reasons. 
I mean, like you said, the prominent gay character being one, that was pretty much the And that's just one, one small aspect of it. I mean, oh, I think yeah. it brought us a lot of really original characters. Mm-hmm. And it so easily could have gone wrong as far as, like, oh, it's a family of undertakers. Like, mm-hmm. that could have been so uncomfortable or, like, hokey. Like, it could have veered in, like, an uncomfortable seventh heaven kind of direction. You know, like, it could have been, like, heartwarming oh, yeah. and, like, a weird, like, you know. Or it could have been, like, too campy or something. But I think it really confronts so many issues of, you know, uncomfortable issues about death, but also just about yeah. life, too, you know? Yeah. And just kind of the tension between, you know, the family's awareness of how real death is. It, the living in the funeral home aspect is mystifying to me. I could not do that. I mean, I here's the thing that I the, couldn't here's do that the, as thing a the job. show never really I definitely explains. couldn't live there. That's per, I just couldn't do it. The show never really explains how the Fisher family got into the funeral business. Because, well, okay, didn't he we, come back from Vietnam? Yes. And then he, like, we assume, okay, started the okay. business after that? Maybe. That's that's what we don't know. Okay, all we know is that the senior Mr. Fisher, Fisher senior. was in Vietnam, and then he came back. He, he and Ruth had already gotten married before he went to Vietnam. They had kind of a emergency marriage, you because know. of Nate. Yes. But we know that, you know, he came back from Vietnam and they were in the funeral business. What we don't know is, was his family in that business previously and that's why they were doing this? Or did it just somehow occur to them as a career opportunity? Mm -hmm. And the reason I always wondered about this is that I just don't understand. I mean, I guess even if his family had been in the business, someone way back would have had to get into it. I just, I kind of have never understood how this occurs to someone as a career opportunity. I don't really remember. And I was kind of looking out for that. But isn't in... I, I may be misremembering this, but wasn't there a Nate, the junior, of course, mm-hmm. scene where he is imagining talking to his father and he's like, oh, why am I doing this? I tried to run away from this. And then Nate Sr. is like, oh, it was just the easiest thing. I just did it because my father did it or something. Didn't Wasn't there a scene like I, that at some point? I, wasn't, I guess, I think I know what you mean, but I wasn't sure if he was talking about Nate or... Yeah. So, but... Because he is having both sides of the conversation. Yes, because like... Because that's the thing is that all the all the conversations well, with dead people yeah. are really just you talking to yourself. Exactly. And that's what... Well, in, in whether or not it's like... That's what's brilliant about the show because it's like... Every person that comes in that like sits up and starts talking to them, obviously it's it's David, it's Nate, it's it's the it's all in your head. Yeah, it's you in know? your head. It's the voice. It's often your antagonistic voice, yeah. or you know, Claire's, it's, it's, Claire's talking to her dad, but the dad is really Claire. You know. Yeah. Well, and it's like, and he's different for each of them because yes, he is exactly. who they are projecting onto him. Yeah. But but yeah, so I I don't know. I might want to like rewatch or like investigate or something to figure yeah, that out. But sure anyway, I, I it it is really mystifying and the show doesn't really do anything to really clear it up how it would be like the leap that you would make. I just sort of just thought like, that right, Vietnam was so horrific that he maybe was like, he was like, maybe well, he saw a lot of dead bodies and he was just like, a medic I can, or something or wasn't no? probably something terrible like that. So, I mean, yeah. he probably, I mean, probably saw a yeah, lot of death. Probably. You could imagine that he was just like, was I've been around death. I can deal with this in a way that maybe a lot of people couldn't. 
But the, Although he was also like a very broken person. And then he, he had like a, like a secret, secret room, secret room and, like, and like the, the giant marijuana like <laughs> monthly like subscription. Or <laughs> um, so I mean, he definitely had like his own like he oh, wasn't yeah. dealing with it totally well. I just mean like that leap to be like we will do this as a family. Because, I mean, at the end of the show, of course, we have two more families making that leap. I mean, we have David and Keith mm -hmm. deciding that they're going to kind of go all in and make it a family business with their boys. Well, uh, well yeah. and then we have, think, and we have I Rico. Mean, I think you mean, oh, well, yeah, yeah. No, I'm saying David and yeah, Keith, yeah, they, they're going to go all in. So, I mean, that's kind but of... But David was already in and Rico David was already, was already in, in, but... There's a difference between David and Keith were not in. Now they're in. Well, there's a difference between David being an undertaker and leaving at the end of the day and going home to a separate home where he lives with Keith and He's his kids. He's also doing his separate job. Yeah, that's like David is an undertaker. That's a big part of his life, but it's not his whole or a funeral director. They don't use the word undertaker, I guess. Yeah. But it's not his whole life. I think once you, like they do at the end of the show, actually move into the family funeral home that's more like you've made it your whole life it's kind of like being a farmer when you live on the farm it's not just your job it's your whole life like you are a farmer i think people clients like that though sure i'm just saying it's a big leap for david and even more so for well, keith and, yes. and to, to to be like yes mm -hmm. we will commit to like this is what we do it's kind of like if your spouse wants to buy a farm you kind of have to be a farmer with them. Yeah, so it's like you're you going to be a farmer also? Like this is your this is a huge and, part of your yeah. identity and your and what your life is going to be like. Yeah, it's going to be revolving around this, and the same for once you move into the funeral home. So I mean, that's a huge leap. And then yeah, like you mentioned, Rico and Vanessa, and how at the end they're excitedly starting their own funeral home. Mm -hmm. For them, it made more sense though. Yes. Like, I do think that one small weak point, and I think that the end of Six Feet Under is one of the best crafted endings to a show, but I do think that the whole Keith deciding to go all in with David and move into the funeral home is a weak point, because I didn't totally buy it. Keith never expressed any desire to live in that house He always kind before. of seemed more seemed like he was humoring the fact yeah. that David did this just because he knew that it was part of who David was, not because he was, like, particularly, like, Oh yes, I could become a part of this. Whereas, it makes sense to Rico and Vanessa because, I mean, Vanessa's already a nurse. It's kind of, and she already at one point I think was working in a nursing home. So she's already working with a lot of like bodily fluids and grieving and stuff like that. So it's not really such a leap for her. Mm -hmm. I also think kind of financial situation wise too, like... Rico and Vanessa are more sort of like building themselves into a new category as far as like their financial mobility than where they start out. Like, because when they, they start use out, that, yeah, they they spend that inheritance yes. into a share of the Fishers, and then they use that to spend into their own thing by the end of the show. And so, their like, ownership is the, their ultimate goal. I think because it's not where they started out. They started out in right. a situation where they don't have ownership of anything. They don't have. I don't think like their families don't have like a lot of money to like back them up or help them or anything. It's except a different for her sister. Except for her sister. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> 
That's a whole other situation. But I just mean like they don't have like a solid foundation no. of like financial support. The Fishers and, grew like, up in that house. Yes, they, so, like, they the own the house. Yes. They, Fisher and Sons, right? And they have, yes, and they have enough money obviously to like, for example, when the dad dies, he leaves Claire a trust fund that's going to like pay for her entire college. Yeah. It's like I could be a great artist in New York if somebody give me it. And like they leave, they leave, um, they leave Ruth enough money that she's not like concerned about no. getting a job now that her husband's dead. I think a lot of women she gets a job for like the busyness aspect. Of yes, it and but be close to um, you know. I think fly. a lot of women who are like the like at home person while their husband is like earning the money if their husband was to unexpectedly die, would then need to go out and get a job. So I'm saying like... She doesn't need to go She out doesn't need to go out and get a job. She's so I'm saying the Fishers... not to have to. Yeah, like the Fishers have like a pretty stable like financial bedrock. Yeah. Like, whereas I'm saying that's a very different situation than like Rico and Vanessa's family. Like they're... They don't really have that backup to like draw off of. Mm-hmm. So they're really more trying to build themselves up. So it's kind of an exciting opportunity for them to get into the business and finally have something that's like beyond what they could have had before or maybe thought they would be able to have. Mm -hmm. Whereas, yeah, it just seems it's very bizarre for Keith to like... It's kind of a left turn. Yeah. But it does wrap things up very nicely. It does. It does. Um, But what do you think about... uh, the who the main character of the show is. Um, you seem particularly concerned about this, and you don't seem concerned at all. <laughs> I I always saw it as an ensemble piece. Hmm. I think it gives a lot of attention to various people. I think the two most important people in the show are Nate and Claire. Yes. And I think that Nate and Claire often hmm. parallel each other. Hmm. In a lot of ways. I mean, think about like. The way that the show begins is that Nate comes back to town, and then the way the show ends is that Claire leaves town. Yes. Yeah. But the show goes on without Nate for a couple episodes. It's not without him. He has died. He's still an important figure in the show. I'm just saying, say, like, you can speculate whatever you want about the end of The Sopranos. The end of The Sopranos could very well end with Tony getting... Do you think perhaps the end of The Sopranos is the moment of Tony's death and it's like, all right, it's over? That's my theory. But but I'm saying, like, Tony Tony starts as the main character and he ends as the main character. I don't see Six Feet Under as having a single main character. I think it's an ensemble piece. I think that... Hmm. I think that you could argue that all of the, the, like, immediate members of the Fisher family are main characters. I think that there are certain characters that are more important. So everyone whose death they chronicle in the finale is a main character. No, because they chronicle some side characters' deaths. They don't chronicle Billy or uh, George or... I assume that Billy drops dead a couple seconds after (laughs) Prince. Of course. (laughs) I do think it is hilarious. That was the funniest death scene. Yes. When he's and the fact that he's still talking about Claire, still talking and, about Claire and then and just Ted. and then Britta's just like, like like just doesn't have it in her to like keep going mm-hmm. with the guy. She maybe just wanted out of that conversation. Just wanted it out bad enough. <laughs> but the thing is, okay, I don't I don't see it as like there's a single main character. I think that it's a split like the Fisher Nate, family. Yeah, the, the Fisher characters. family specifically. Not everybody though, like. 
I mean, not like, for example, Keith is a side character, even though he gets his own storyline somewhat. I'm talking like the core nuclear family at the beginning, mm-hmm. Nate, David, Claire, and Ruth. What do you, th- what, but going, hold, before we just hold that thought, but um, what do you think of the fact, keeping with that same mindset of the Fisher family mm-hmm. as the nucleus, what do you think of the fact that Brenda is the only non-Fisher who gets a solid... Like, you wouldn't call her a side character in this show, I wouldn't think. No. Well, you wouldn't call Rico exactly a side character either, though. He okay, gets a pretty yeah, solid, like, we follow Vanessa's him. Vanessa's not, and Keith is not, and yeah. Lisa is not. True. Why do, why do you think the show carves her out an exception? Well, I don't think it's an exception because I do think that we also follow Rico. Rico's not a significant other of a Fisher. True, but he is significantly no tied to No the other significant... Let me put it this way. No other significant other of a Fisher Very is true. a main character. Very besides true. Brenda. Yeah, that is worth... That is worth I mean, she's thing. also the mother of two of the children. I think she's just integral to the show because she's the mother of two of the children. She's also the sister of Billy, who at a t- for a time is with Claire. <laughs> but, okay, like, the fact that Billy and Claire oh, are man. enmeshed, I think kind of goes back to what I was saying about how I th- see Nate and Claire as often kind of parallels or reflections of each other. Mm-hmm. Like, even to the point where they're creepily, like, dating siblings. One scene I love is when uh, uh, the, Billy and, and um, Claire are talking and Claire is like, yeah, what do you think that of, of the fact that we're both with each other, but that you're with? She puts it as if it's like only him that's doing it. Like, like yeah. Uh, what What do you think of the fact that you're with your what sisters, <laughs> whatever? And and he's like, well, what do you think of the fact that you're with? Like, yeah, and then it's like so awkward. They both have to change the subject. Like, yeah. I I do think though that that's one of those things where it's like it became awkward partially though because I mean. Even though it is weird, of course, that Claire is with Billy, I feel like, obviously, the Brenda and Billy relationship is so much more unhealthy than yeah, the Claire, Claire and Nate mm-hmm. that it's, it's, it's awkward. It's, only, it's, it's mostly awkward because it's like Claire knows that Billy and Brenda have an unhealthy connection. And so to actually point out the fact that part of the reason he's dating her is because she is the sister of Brenda's husband and that's the closest he can get to Brenda at this time, it's not appropriate to do within the confines of her relationship, even though it's, like, honest and true. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, like, unspeakably, like, awkward. It's like, it's like we all know this, but, like, we, we, should, we can't speak of this and continue on. Yeah. But I mean, let's let's talk a little bit more about Brenda and Billy because, uh-huh. well, because I mean, I think there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, there's like a suitcase, a lot to unpack. Yeah, there's. Uh, it's interesting. I don't know. I think they they definitely toy with the uh, idea of them crossing the line many times in the show. I think it's yeah, it's 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 an idea that's kind of floating He's there up again and again. Yeah, because it's uncomfortable, and I mean it's it's more interesting to explore uncomfortable ideas probably. <laughs> so, what do you think of the role of Nathaniel and Isabel? 
I enjoy that very much, but I have a special, I, I want to find a name for this. Mm-hmm. Like, not, I mean, I know the name for the thing itself, but I want to find a name for myself as a fan of this particular thing. I have a special fascination with mm-hmm. art that is created only to exist within another piece of art. Like, for example, like, when you watch a movie about, and a character in the movie is a painter, someone has to have, like, created all those paintings for that painter in the movie to have, like, pretend created. Mm-hmm. And it can be very awkward because within a piece of art, when there's art, the art is often valued within the... Like, like, let's say there is art, like visual art that's created with, or, or written art, that's any sort of art that's created within a TV show or a movie. It's usually valued by the characters inside the thing. Like, you know, this is good, or it's doing so well, or this is terrible, Bombinous or whatever. Amigos. Hmm? Bombinous Amigos. Exactly. Into the first glading dusk light he goes. But, so within the world of the story, it's valued in a certain way, but then we, the audience, also are looking at it, and it's like, is this actually good? Mm-hmm. You know, when when a character of yours is making art and, like, somehow succeeding as an artist and you're looking at the art they're making and you're just like, what is this? Mm. So I think there's a lot of layers to creating art to go inside of something. And I also, so I enjoy that aspect of just, like, who is making the art for this and, like, how are, how is this happening? But also I really enjoy the aspect of, like, the art that's created inside of the story in order to reflect or, or, you know, parts of the story. So, like, with Nathaniel and Isabel, this is a series of children's books that were created, you know, for the story that exist only in the story, and it's that Billy and Brenda read and identified with these books as children, and these books are incredibly warped, but, of course, Billy and Brenda are also incredibly warped. But they have matching tattoos. Well, I mean, that, that comes into play very early in the series when... When Billy has had, like, you know, a severe mental health decline and he tries to, like, I think he realizing that his connection to Brenda is unhealthy and that she's trying to pull away, he tries to, well, he cuts off his own tattoo and then he, like, comes at her with... That's at the end of season one. A blade, yeah, to try to, like, cut hers off as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, then he has to be, like, taken away to the hospital and everything. But he slowly comes back. But yeah, he comes back and, you know, continues to, continues to bug around the edges of the show. Mm-hmm. Manages to date Claire. And I, I do like how the show, when it explores an idea that's interesting, it doesn't really let the idea die. It brings it back. So, I mean, like with Billy and Brenda, when we first meet Billy... It's like when Nate first meets Billy. He's just gotten into this relationship with Brenda, and then suddenly there's this like inappropriately naked man in her house, and he's like, mm. is this some guy that she just hooked up with? It takes him a while to even figure out that it's her brother. And so there's always that air of like the question mark and the inappropriateness. And of course, that you feel like that comes to a head in the first season with, you know, the tattoo incident. Mm-hmm. But we come back around to like explore that again oh, yeah. towards the end. And all through, really. All through, but I think I think especially towards the end when they well, know it's when they know the show is ending, they have to really like ratchet up and be like, of course, like, then they like had the really escape hatch it. at the end, where it's always oh, a dream. I think they had to, but that was an important dream for Brenda because that's when she decided that she was going to Not run away from that <laughs> Saskatchewan and like pretend that they were married. Yeah, she could have made a huge mistake. Whew. 
But she, but that dream woke her up to the idea that that would be a huge mistake. And so then I think she leans back into having a normal life instead. So, I mean, that was actually, I think, a good thing for her ultimately. Was a good revelation for her. It's like sometimes you have a dream about something and you realize how terribly wrong it would be. And then you're like, all right, I'm going no. to steer the car in another direction. Totally. But also another thing with Billy is in the very first season, he and Claire have that flirtation. Yes. Where, you know, he, like, creepily picks her up from school and, like, takes her picture. Takes her picture. But you kind of think that's, like, a one-off. But then, of course, like, several seasons later, they're, like, living together. Mm. And it seems like they're in, like, a very serious relationship, you know, until he's searching for his Gearac shirt. And then it all kind of goes downhill. And then his mom is trying to, like, pay Claire to, like, date him again. <laughs> it's, like, a very low moment for everyone. But you see what I'm saying? Like, the show dips its toe into something and then it comes back to explore it again later, which I appreciate. Mm -hmm. Instead of just, like, abandoning concepts. Yes. Because I think that's more realistic to real life. Like, in real life, I think concepts or, like, situations that are part of people's lives do tend to, like, arise again and again. Mm -hmm. Things don't just happen as a one-off and then go away. Yeah. Here's something I want to talk about that I have a problem with the show about. Mm -hmm. I think... You know, the old adage with fiction is you're supposed to make it difficult for your main characters. So, of course, I can't quibble too much with the idea behind it. But they really don't let any main character get away unscathed throughout the show. Like, like, like they keep, like, and I guess in that way, it's kind of, it's very true to life because everyone is flawed and everyone. No one is portrayed glory or whatever, but no one is really portrayed in a flattering light. And also, terrible things either happen to people or kind of through their well, and also through their own, you know, decisions happen to themselves. I um, was very disappointed with the storyline with David, where he's carjacked. Well, that's that's what I'm. I think that's getting. my least that's favorite. That's what I'm driving at. That's, that's my least favorite story arc, and it was unnecessary to David's. And it kind of like took the air out of his character a little bit and like in a way that i thought was unnecessary because david was such an interesting character Mm -hmm. right from the start yeah you didn't need that to be interesting well and he progressed to so many things i mean because like we talked about you know in the beginning he was closeted and that was a huge issue for him to work through like coming out and kind of finding how he was gonna you know have his new life now that he was like living more truthfully and also trying to like figure out his relationship with Keith and then their journey of trying to put their family together as far as like wanting to have kids. That was interesting enough. I do not think we needed to throw this horrible carjacking thing into it. Yeah. That's probably the most egregious example. I think to a lesser degree, the Rico infinity storyline, the Rico infinity storyline annoys me, but I actually, I feel like no, I enjoy it more than I enjoy the carjacking one to be clear, but like, Rico's character never really recovers from that moment, and like it's it's like kind of a fatal flaw. I mean, in he some does ways, though, I think doesn't. it's I think it's good. And see, I originally was really bummed about that because I was like, oh man, Rico, because you're always kind of fond of him from the beginning. Oh, but then rewatching that, it, the worst thing about him was his homophobia. But that was almost just a cultural. It seemed thing. like a very cultural thing, and so we were kind of able to forgive him yeah. and hope that he would just sort of get over it over time. I guess, but. I actually grew to appreciate the Infinity storyline more upon this rewatching, just in the sense that I feel like, even though Keith also exists in the world of the story, I definitely think Rico's character 
was possibly in danger of being like the token super great minority guy. Mm -hmm. Like the Fishers are like the whitest white people who've ever like white peopled. (laughs) And then Rico is like, you know, this person from, you know, outside of that, who's like a part of the situation, you know, due to being, you know, employed there. And he was so like nice for the first few seasons that I definitely think he was in danger of seeming like he was lacking the dimension that they gave the other characters. Cause they're very cruel to the other characters, as you were just saying. And they, none of the other characters are really totally good people. They all do horrible things. And many of them are very self-centered and they make terrible choices and they do un- really unflattering things that don't look great. So, so I think that the first couple seasons, Rico seemed like just, you know what I'm looking for? What is the word for that minority character that's super easy for a racist person to like? But you see what I'm it's saying. A, it's like, a trope in fiction. Yes, but I was trying to find a nicer way to say that. But anyway, yes, we all, we're all, no, 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 you can say that. that was, we're all clear on what we're talking about here. So, but you, but you see what I'm saying about... The character who swoops down and is exactly, like twice exactly. as good and... Yes, and, 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 and I think Rico advice. was definitely in danger of that. Because like, while the Fishers are all doing, you know, super like questionable things when we first you know the first couple seasons Rico's just like other than his homophobia he's like hardworking. he's like a young father but he's like married to the mm-hmm. woman and together they're both working so hard and they've got like the cutest kids and they're just trying to like buy a house and so I do think that having Rico do something really morally like incredibly shaky was good in the sense that like it gave his character more death and more interest and took him away from being that thing that he was in danger of being from mm-hmm. the show so i think that was good mm-hmm. um but yes it was very upsetting because i mean i did you know i was fond of rico and then it's just the whole situation with infinity just because i feel like he would have totally gone with infinity had she like you know what i mean like I just think he was so out of his depth that he didn't even, like, know what he was doing. Like, he was just completely... And the like, fact that he was, like, passing it off as charity was, like, the extra... That was blow. so gross. But then I think in that season, though, it's not like he's just bad about Infinity. It actually kind of reveals that he's a terrible person in general. Not just terrible in the aspect of being unfaithful to his family. Also terrible because that is during the same period of time that... He lies about someone dying. Remember? I don't even think he ever has a reckoning for that, does he? No, he doesn't. And he gets back together with Vanessa. By the end of the thing, he's rehabilitated himself. He's back home with his family. I guess family. we can just assume that they never the... ran into Jenna Fisher again. I certainly hope not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can hope. I mean, LA's you know a, LA's I mean? a big like, place. You know? I actually think it just reveals the fact that Rico is kind of a crappy person. I mean, more than kind of. He's, like, actually a very crappy person. But I also think it's good that he is then able to be rehabilitated after that because I know a lot of crappy people that are just, like, still doing it, okay. you know? And so I think that's more realistic. It's actually unrealistic to think that someone does something terrible and then everyone finds out and they're ostracized and society turns against them and they keep going. In real life, people do horrible things all the time and no one, either people decide to ignore it and just keep going or people just don't know how to address it. So they just kind of freeze up and just have to kind of tolerate it while secretly being upset about it forever. I think that's more the reality of like people that do awful things. I did, uh, I'm, 
enjoyed the scene of uh, when Rico goes to live at the Fishers after he gets kicked out by Vanessa, and um, <laughs> and uh, he's talking to Ruth, and he's like, um, "Oh, I did something really bad," and, and she's like, "Oh, you and you and Vanessa have always had a strong relationship," and 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 he's like. I, I cheated on her. I was in Bethel. And then Ruth was like, better Rico. And he's like, <laughs> Ruth, like, because, like, we know from the beginning of the yeah, show. Yeah, we know that she was, she That she was going camping, husband, yeah. and I'm doing air quotes about that with Ed Begley Jr. From right. the very beginning of the show, right. while she was still technically married to Nathaniel Sr. That's very and, true. So. But that's a perfect example. I mean, Ruth Fisher, she's... I don't know if I would call her likable. I think she's a great character. She's relatable. She's relatable. She's interesting. And she's not like pretty much any other character you see on TV. I yeah. mean, she's... Like, just just even as far as just kind of like her age and the things she's going through, like... Dating at like the point in life that she's in. And also not in like a kind of scary meow cougar sort of way. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, like, she looks age appropriate to how old she is. She's not like, it's not like they got a 37 year old actress to play her, even though she's supposed to be 60 and she has like implants and that's like some work done. And it's like, you know what I mean? Like they had like a actual realistic person of her age who's been living like kind of a, you know, the sort of quiet lifestyle that she's been living, but she's still like a sexually, like, alive person, even if her partners are all very scary. Mm -hmm. She's still, like, I think that's a more interesting avenue than I think a lot of shows have gone down with a character like her. Mm -hmm. I do like that she, throughout the show, is, like, you can tell that she's kind of stagnated in the role of who she's been for so long through her cooking. You know, like, she's always forever cooking these, like, massive like uh like a giant like a crown roast for yeah that should be like feeding yeah it's like a dinner that should feed 16 people on like an easter or something but she's making it on like a wednesday night yeah for her and david yeah and it's just like (laughs) it's like how many potatoes were you planning to roast tonight (laughs) exactly yeah it's like always like the giant pieces of meat and like the huge portions and does she even save the leftovers? Who knows? I, I do think that she saves the leftovers, though, because David often eats lunch ah, there. So I, I think see. that she actually, like, I think she probably does carve those I roasts see. to, like, make sandwiches throughout the week. I see. So, I mean, I don't think it's quite as wasteful as it seems, but it is still, like, a lot. But I think she started doing that when she had a family of five. And two of the, and like, when she two had two teenage boys, I mean, you've seen the way our, like, small children eat. Yeah. Sometimes I just I just feel like I'm just like just I want to open up the fridge and just be like just take it all <laughs> like take everything. You're very hungry people. But I'm just saying, so I can only imagine having like two teenage boys in the house and Claire when she was like a little girl and like the dad and everything. I I assume that she was maybe that food was more getting used. Yes. But yeah, no, that's, I think, what happens a lot to people. And then all of a sudden this life change has happened where it's like she doesn't necessarily need to do that kind of thing anymore. And she's like, she's dating again. She's not, you know, Claire's out of the house pretty much. You know, it's like she's in a whole new phase of her life where she doesn't need to make a rump roast on Tuesday. You know? Right. 
but but then yeah. I mean we were talking about how Nate and Claire parallel each other in a lot of ways. I also think there's inter- there's an interesting. I think that one of the things that the show explores though, because it's not really just Nate and Claire, it's how mm-hmm. different characters either parallel each other or exist within with a tension w- between each other. Like, so speaking of Ruth, then I was thinking about her relationship with Claire. Mm-hmm. Like, because they're kind of the two main Fisher women, and so much of who Claire is is like not wanting to be Ruth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. But ending up becoming very much like Ruth. Although not so much because, you know, in the end, of course, Claire offers to stay home, just like Nate did in the beginning. In the beginning, remember, Mm -hmm. you know, and Ruth takes him up on it. But in the end, Ruth is like, no, Claire, go. Because she doesn't want Claire to become her and, you know stay home when she wanted to go and have adventures and become someone else out in the world and just Mm -hmm. kind of she doesn't want that for her Mm -hmm. but so much of who claire is throughout the show is just like she's always kind of putting her mom down and not wanting to spend time with her and criticizing her for being you know frumpy and dour and like oh what are you doing with your life she does end up going with ted she does but ted i don't think ted has anything in common with nathaniel senior ted is just like the nicest unicorn Republican who's ever like he's like the, he's like nicer than like any of the nice people like he's the nicest person ever right <laughs> yeah it's like one of those things where it's like you can tell that like he's this hotshot young lawyer and he probably hangs out with other Republicans all day and, and, and things probably went well. His parents are still together, I think he said. Yeah, all I'm saying is like, okay, if you have a great childhood, mm-hmm. a happy home, your parents have a great relationship and they love you in the way that you need to be loved and you feel seen and celebrated and nurtured and then you have happy times and your childhood memories are all like good days, like boating at the lake and eating noodle salad. Like you don't really have any reason to like, try to like go like change from that. Mm -hmm. Like, I think people tend to change from their family when they feel like when there's things that like weren't going great that they like, then Mm -hmm. want to like be like, I will do something different. Mm -hmm. If you're just like, man, my family was so awesome. I hope I can just have a life exactly like this. You have no reason to like try to do something different because you really just want what they have, you know? Yeah. And what you already have, you just want to keep having it. One tension that I don't really think the show handled coherently was I never felt like they were clear on Nathaniel Jr.'s motivations and like him either moving away from the business or moving towards it. Like... The show, the show, like kept being like whenever, whenever he'd do the thing where he talked to his dad, and he would always be like, "I always do did what everything wanted, everyone wanted, or or something." And it's like, well, no, you moved to Seattle no, until no, your dad died. I don't know. I don't think he said that he did what everyone wanted. I, I thought they were totally clear on this See, because my perspective was he left home when he was like. 17 or whatever because he was like Mm -hmm. wanted to be like rebellious and like Mm -hmm. move to seattle and like do whatever it was that he was doing there which ultimately ended up you know living with lisa and working at the whole foods 
Um, he was but assistant at grocery. What was he? Like? He was like assistant of like produce acquisition. <laughs> Sale. Or yeah. But I. But anyway, like I. So he left because he like didn't want to go in the family business, and apparently also didn't want to like go to college or like do anything else. Um. Then he comes back, and I feel like when he came back. It's easy for him to blame Ruth for him staying because, like, mm-hmm. she asked him to stay and he says he'll stay. And sure, wanting to stay for her is part of why he stays. Mm-hmm. If he actually didn't want to stay, he, he also had stays no... for Brenda. He stays for Brenda and he stays for himself because, despite what he says about being the assistant produce manager or whatever, he's clearly not like achieved anything like incredibly resplendent, and so. And, and Nate, throughout the whole show, he's looking for, like, meaning in life. Like, mm-hmm. like he's he is a crappy person, but he always wants to feel, like, the meaning in something. And so when Ruth asks him to stay, if he didn't want to stay, he would have totally just left. It's an opportunity for him to feel like he's being noble. And that's what he really wants. He wants, like, Nate's, I think, driving force is that he wants to feel like a good person. Staying because his mom asked him to stay is a huge opportunity to feel like a good person. And then getting into this business that he didn't want to be in because he somehow feels like he's good at it is like an opportunity to feel like he intrinsically has some sort of like spiritual calling or great power or something. And that's always something that he's kind of chasing too. Mm -hmm. So I feel like for him, it's all about like, he wants to feel like a good person and so that was, like, his power move was to, like, say yes. Because, like, of course a good person would stay with their mom. And, of course, a good person would actually be good at helping people in their time of grief. But then he keeps, like, waffling back and forth and being like, this is all just pretend. This is masking what's really happening. And we should just be like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Why are we embalming people? He's never going to be satisfied. He's always chasing it's like, that elusive... Well, what do you think this is? He's like, seeking that elusive experience that will be so powerful that it will feel authentic. Like he wants like a spiritual experience mm. from life. Which is why of course he ends up cheating on Brenda with Maggie. Because like he, he feels like somehow her like presence and her like Quakerism mm. that he's like being drawn to he thinks that that will lead him into this more authentic spiritual life that he's not been able to f- put together for himself. So is George a Quaker? No. Maggie converted for her ex-husband. And then she, and then she just it. stayed with it. Because I guess it, I guess she liked it. I mean, she liked it enough to convert, but I think she really was, like, into it. Hmm. And, I mean, she's also kind of a crappy person, too. So, I don't know. I think if you... There's another family connection. Yeah, it's, it was very incestuous show. I mean... Hmm. Yeah. Were they still, was George and, uh... I don't think they had gotten divorced yet, but I think they were separated. Because remember when she calls Nate crying because she wants Nate to confirm for her that Ruth has really left her dad because Ruth had, like, set him up in the apartment Mm -hmm. but was, like, still pretending to be, like, living there, but Maggie was, like, suspecting that Ruth doesn't really live there. And she was like, Nate, you can tell me anything, you know, because she wants him to tell her whether or not Ruth has actually left. Mm-hmm. That was, like, right around that time. Like, that was, like, mm-hmm. one episode before. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, I mean, Ruth and George were, like, barely separated. Mm. And e- 
even if they had already been divorced, I I don't feel like th- those kind of boundaries just come just come away like that. Yeah. yeah. I think once someone's your step sibling, they're just they're your step sibling. I think you should yeah. just consider that off limits, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Just my personal opinion. Yes, <laughs> um, but I do think Brenda just has the the worst timing in the world, not by her own fault, of course, just through the course of events in the show, like with her wedding first and then like Oh, the show is so mean to Brenda. I mean, oh, I know. She she never she's like gets having a break. the miscarriage on her wedding and then she's like finally pregnant after like the struggle and then her husband like dies literally fucking well, someone else like but even before that he's like pressuring her to get it a, a abortion and um because it might have something wrong with it and but so that's he, just because he didn't actually want to have the baby either way and this is just an excuse for him to try to get out of it and then yes of course that happens with maggie but then even after that there's more pain to come because Remember when he's in the hospital and he wakes up for a little while and he's like, oh, we should not be together. I'm dumping you Where while I'm in the hospital. Where she was obviously, I feel like she, and even though she knew what he had done, she was willing to try to like work through it because it's yeah. like we're in this like very awkward place. It's like, can you wait to like stand up on your two feet before you like dump somebody? Like, can yeah. you just like... But that's just like further proving that Nate is awful because I mean... He should have, okay, like he also doesn't care. He doesn't, he has very poor planning skills. I mean... Well, clearly. When he decides... Okay, like, I realize this is more of, like, a housekeeping issue, but, like, when he decides to break up with Brenda while he's in the hospital, who does he think is going to care for his toddler daughter that she... That now that he's, like, trying to break up with, like, the stepmother? Also, you know that Nate is the kind of person that would justify, like, oh, it's better for Maya if I... I'm with Maggie, who I really love, and so she can see a real relationship than the fake relationship with Brenda. Not thinking that, like, maybe it's bad for Maya that, like, first her original mom dies, then you immediately move in with Brenda and have her start calling Brenda mommy, and basically Brenda does all the mm-hmm. child care. And then you're just like, all right, Brenda, I'm done with you, while you're still, while Brenda is, like, enormously pregnant with, like, your other sibling. It's just like, oh, peace, peace out, Brenda. Like, I think Nate is an incredibly selfish person. Yes, well, clearly. But he probably knows that about himself, and that's why he's so fixated on trying to do things that seem selfless, like staying with his family when they asked him to. Because mm-hmm. it's like, if you know you're super selfish, it's like, oh, yes, this is my chance to do something that proves I'm actually a good person. But it's like, no. Mm-hmm. Maybe the real miracle that he could have used would be to just not be so grabby to everyone all the time. I did like that Maggie brought Brenda a quiche. Yeah. That was, that was... I liked the part where they're in the hospital and Maggie's just like still there and it's like she doesn't want to be there anymore and no one else wants her to be there but like she can't leave. Yeah. It's like she doesn't want to be there but she knows that it would seem too crappy to leave. Doesn't Brenda insist that she stay though just for the uncomfortableness of it? Yes. But it's also, like, Brenda doesn't actually want her there. She just doesn't want to let her leave. So it's like, no one wants her to be there, but it's like, I also can't It's like she's, like, shoving her face in it while she still can, you know? Yeah, which I think that's fair. Of course. Yeah. Um. 
Let's talk about Claire a little bit more because I feel like she has just the worst um, development as an artist. Like, I mean, like we talked about, like when you make art inside of a show, it can be interesting. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, because a whole, a very large portion of her story is her kind of deciding to go to art school Mm -hmm. and then making terrible art on an ongoing basis pretty much throughout the entire show until she kind of stops making art before she, you know, dramatically resurges at the end to become, like, a famous photographer or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she totally steals, or not steals, but claims credit, complete solo credit for the idea of, like, the tearing up the faces and then laying it on the faces and then... I felt for Russell about that. But then that was so eclipsed by his just general terribleness that like I ended up kind of siding with Claire. You mean when he tackled the lollipop, or when he like or do, you, just... or do you mean when he like totally has sex with Olivier? Yeah, when he totally has sex with Olivier, when he like tries to tackle the giant lollipop sculpture. Yeah. When he like tries to like shame Claire for having the abortion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which. Not that this necessarily would have changed anything, but, like, let us not forget that she was, like, unexpectedly pregnant while finding out that he had, like, slept with their teacher. Mm-hmm. Speaking of characters that really hang on to the end, Olivier... I know, you keep expecting Olivier to not be a part of the show anymore, and then he just kind of is still there. Yeah, exactly. I do wonder if in, like, after, like, Me Too or whatever, if he would have, like... Been swept away, but <laughs> now, are you saying that he would have been fired from the art school? I would hope so. <laughs> you mean just because he slept with like so many of his students? <laughs> and like, yeah. Okay, now here, here. How gross is it though that he slept with? I mean, going back to how incestuous the show is. How gross is it that he slept with both Billy and um, Mother Chinoweth? Because <sighs> he ends up in like a long-term relationship <laughs> right? with with. What is her first name? You know, Billy and Brenda's mom. Chenoweth. Brenda uh, Chenoweth. Yeah, whatever Mother Chenoweth's name is. <laughs> Stop Mother Chenoweth. You know what I mean? Like, I know that the dad was named Byrne, but like, what was her name? I don't remember. I don't, I don't know. But you know who I'm talking about. Yes, I think everyone else will too. But yes, like he ends up in a long-term relationship with her, which is like, who saw that coming? Well, they're at the art show smoking their husband's cancer pot, and then... But then it's, like, a year later, he's, like, holding the baby at, like, Brenda's, like, family dinner, like... It's like, you're still here. Wow, okay. Claire doesn't even go to the school anymore. Billy doesn't teach at the school anymore. Does he not? Well, he quit, remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because they were going to move to, like, Barcelona or something. <laughs> before things went so wrong. I love the endless pool of money that Brenda and Billy continually pull from. They sort of vaguely tried to explain that in the very <laughs> end when Brenda is like says, oh, I inherited a lot of money from my dad and Nate had life insurance. Remember that? But even before that happened. Even before that. Okay. Remember when Brenda, when we first meet Brenda. <laughs> what is her job She's again? a massage therapist, which I've known people who are massage therapists. And like, how they many don't make clients, that much money. But how many clients? She's also, not even taking any clients. I feel clients, like Brenda has like... Three clients a month. Yeah. For, like, a large portion of the show. And yet, somehow, she's still living in, like, a very nice house for, like, California. In in Los Angeles? Yeah. Like, 
like a bungalow. Did did Brenda somehow get money from that Charlotte Light and Dark situation? Maybe. Maybe it's like an emotional distress. <laughs> I don't know. If there was some sort of like royalties or like yeah. I don't. I don't know. I'm just saying somehow Brenda has an endless pool of money to like draw off of. And Billy. Yes, we don't see Billy's life as much, so it's. Yeah, but I think a lot of that goes to rehab. Yeah. No, I mean like we don't see like. We, we see Brenda's house over and over again. Like, we see what Brenda's house, we see what kind of things she has, her lifestyle. We only get some little glimpses into Billy's life. But he's able to, like, buy random stuff and not have it, like, yes. really affect yes. him. And he does buy random stuff. Yes. I mean, I think that's more when he's, like, having, like, an episode, though. Wow. How often does that happen? <laughs> I mean, a couple times in the course of the show, which spans, like, a few years. Sure. Right? Yeah. But I do think that Billy's character is well done in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. Like, the kind of energy that he brings to the show, I think, is very authentically recognizable as someone who's having, like, the kind of issues that he... Isn't the first time we see him, he's just, like, like weeping and, like, cr- like walking across the kitchen? And that was one, I think that was, like, a couple times in. Okay. That's the first time we see him kind of coming... Are you sure, are you sure that's not, like, the first time we see him? No, the first time we see him, he's, like, naked and coming out of the shower... Because Nate, and he, like, hands Nate a beer or something. Because Nate, like, comes to see Brenda, oh, okay. and there's, like, this yeah, naked guy in her house. Okay, yeah. And there's no explanation, so it's, mm-hmm. like, he, does he think he's just, like, walked in on some other dude that's, yeah. like, just, you know, been with her. Although mother. then there was that Australian guy. Yes. So, I mean, this is... And a, then there was the um, skateboarder. And then there was the erotic novella. <laughs> this, this, this is, like, a recurring... And then there was the client. And there was the client. Wasn't there another guy at some point? Probably was. (laughs) Brenda does have a problem, clearly. But um. But no, I just think like his like. I think anyone who's been around people that are you know dealing with like mania or like kind of the like depressive side of like mental health struggles. Billy's energy is very authentic and recognizable. Mm-hmm. So I think that's like well done within the show. I do like how the when the mania is ramping up, it's always it it catches people by surprise because you you mistake it for like a burst of like productivity or like inspiration. Oh or no, something. it starts out so great. Well, it's like with Claire he buys her the camera and they're well, going to move to Barcelona. And, and she was worried because he was seeming depressed mm-hmm. and like things were like a little bit, you know, so at first she's like excited. It's finally going well. It seems like, Oh, it's and all... then he buys leather pants. Well, that's when I think you should have shown that things have gone wrong. But... <laughs> it was in the same shopping trip, but I think she was just very excited about the camera. I think she was so excited about the camera that she maybe <laughs> didn't pay enough attention to the leather pants until it was too late. She can use all her lenses with it. She can. But, I mean, that's a perfect example of how that kind of thing happens, though. And also how it's, like, it's not always a bad thing. Like, mm-hmm. part of what she liked about Billy was also related to part of what was wrong with him. <laughs> but I think that that can often be true for people. Mm-hmm. It's like, if something is a part of you, it's not always, it's not all bad. Mm-hmm. Even if it can be related to something very, very troubling. Yeah. What do you think about Lisa's? We haven't really talked about Lisa very much. She's the main character, I mean, almost. Not really. She but... never really gets to be a main character. She, we never really get to know her by herself. I think but... if she hadn't been, you know, yeah, killed so or whatever... Yes, maybe they would have followed her like they did Brenda. I don't know. We never get to find out. Yeah. But I mean, like, with Brenda, like, when... Okay, here's here's where I think we don't follow her the same way, though, because 
When Nate and Brenda break up, we still continue to follow Brenda when she's like living in that apartment and she has that relationship with the French horn guy. Between the time that Lisa sees David and Claire, or not David, Nate and Claire in Seattle and possibly gets pregnant, we don't see her again until she shows back up at like the Whole Foods or wherever it is that she runs into Nate again. <laughs> When she's uh, being the personal chef for Catherine O'Hara. I loved that storyline, though. That was so good. When Nate keeps barking in the driveway. <laughs> and when she, like, needs her cake towel. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. No, and I really felt for Lisa in that situation, too. Because, like, when she's like, has, like, a baby and she's trying to make this job work. And, like, it's the job that, like, seemed so good. But now it's kind of turning into a nightmare. Cause, like, it seems great. It's, like... You'll have a place to live. You can bring your baby to work. You'll be able to, like, take care of your baby and breastfeed and, like, still have this, like, job within your, like, career field. But now it's, like, you're actually just, like, the personal servant to this, like, insane person who also is now resenting you for living in the space they told you you could live in and for having your baby at work, which they told you you could do, which is why you took the job. But that just, that seems like the kind of thing that that's exactly how those things really turn out, you know? Exactly. So I really felt for Lisa in that situation. Like, I just, like, I think that was good. Um, but no, we don't really ever, I mean, we don't really ever get to follow her on her own. Mm -hmm. So we never, and so we never really see her side of the story as far as, you know, what was the extent of the P.S. It's a Trap pregnancy? Like, did she get pregnant on purpose to trap Nate? Did, maybe, did she also Define was on it, purpose? I mean, but I mean, also like, was it you know they had unprotected sex? I imagine while he was in Seattle with Claire. But that's also his fault. Yeah, of course. And then I mean, also you know, what was the extent of her affair with Hoyt? We never get to find out because I mean, we only was the kid even named. That's what I'm saying. We don't know. We don't know what went on between the. Hoyt time. had a lot more opportunities to you know. Well, I'm just saying happen. we don't we don't know what happened with Lisa between the time that we meet her in Seattle, that one time when possibly when Maya is conceived, and then after another incestuous relationship, because his sister was married oh, to. Oh, you're Hoyt, right. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. No, that's very creepy. I hadn't even thought about that. Mm. I just mean like we don't know what's going on with Lisa between that time and then when she pops back up into the show. Mm-hmm. But I thought Lisa was a good character. I mean, I always oh, felt yeah. so bad for her in the relationship with Nate, too. Because, I mean, even though, like, it's not Nate's fault that he's not in love with Lisa. If he's going to decide to, like, commit to her and make a life with her, he should, like, try to be nicer to her. Yes, but I think, again, after he has that thing with his brain, and, like, he, like, dies and comes back, I think he's, like... Now I'm gonna like be a good person, and I'm gonna do a selfless thing uh, by being with Lisa. And but you should never do someone a favor by kid. being in a relationship with them. That's so yeah. gross. Well, he also could have still decided to commit to being a good parent to Maya without marrying mm -hmm. Lisa if he knew he was. But never then they went be able in the pyramid, and what did they decide? They basically didn't decide. I think they went in the pyramid, and they decided to stop pretending that they were like a fairy tale love story. But still try to have, like, a good marriage. So what does that mean? I don't think it means anything. That's why it's, like, it's not... They didn't really decide anything, because it, so it, like, yeah. it means different things to each of them. I think it means different things to each of them. To Nate, it means 
I don't have to pretend that I'm in love with you anymore. Hmm. And but but to Lisa it more means we can admit that this isn't the fairy tale that we were hoping it was, but maybe we will fall in love somehow over time. Hmm. So like I think she still has hope that it's like more happening than he does. So their happy agreement is actually a total misunderstanding. And also, I mean, their happy agreement is just to actually continue doing what they're doing. Because, like, I think they both feel that mentally they've clarified what's happening, but they're actually planning to continue living in exactly the same way they've been living. So it's really kind of a... it's, it's You know what I mean? Like, their happy agreement is just that they finally have admitted to each other that it's not exactly mm-hmm. what Lisa wants it to be. Mm-hmm. But they've also agreed that they're going to continue on in exactly the way that they've been going. So it's really, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a nothing agreement. <laughs> Isn't Brenda there too? Yes, awkwardly she comes into the pyramid like mid like the talk. And that's the other thing too though is like... Brenda's kind of the elephant in the room of their whole relationship too. But I also think that the reason the show follows Brenda is that the show kind of wants us to know that Brenda and Nate are like... Supposed to be together. Yes, like if the show has some concept of destiny, I think Brenda and Nate are like caught in each other's orbit and they're never going to like fully go somewhere else. Even though Nate dumped her on his deathbed. (laughs) Yeah, and even though they're a terrible couple. Yeah. I also feel like, I mean, but the, the reason they're a terrible couple, I mean, they're both at fault. I mean... The first time that they're engaged, of course, Brenda starts writing her erotic novella and, like, you know, is with, like, the skater dude and all those other guys. So that's obviously, like, Brenda is obviously to blame partially. But ultimately, Nate will never be happy with anyone because he always just is chasing the idea that, like, Nate wants to be with some person that's going to make him into who he wants to be. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, he probably, like you said, married Lisa because he was like, now's my chance to be this selfless guy who, like, commits to Lisa. But notice how as soon as Brenda actually commits to Nate, he's no longer interested in her. Like, remember how much, like, passion and tension there was between Nate and Brenda when, like... Lisa had just died, but it seemed like it would be maybe inappropriate for them to get back together, but they still Mm -hmm. kept kind of seeing each other, and they both obviously wanted to just get together, and it seemed like, oh my gosh, these people can't stay apart. Like, they're magnetically drawn together. Remember that part? And then, flash forward, as soon as they get together, Brenda is basically just, like, taking care of Nate's child, and he's, like, resenting Brenda for, like, wanting to get pregnant, and basically, like, doing her a favor by, like, having, like, a kid with her. And and he's, like, already, like, looking for, like, Maggie to be, like, his actual relationship that he was supposed to be in. And then he'll, like, leave Brenda and start a new life as a Quaker or something. Mm-hmm. And I assume as soon as he starts his new life as a Quaker with Maggie, he would have been, like immediately bored and started trying to find somebody else mm. and hopefully Brenda wouldn't have been stupid enough to like go let him like back in after that mm. I mean don't you think oh yeah but what else haven't we talked about we haven't ever talked about Keith very much. I mean, we talked about how we found it kind of stunning that he wants to 
go into the funeral home business. We didn't really talk about how I, I've always kind of thought that Keith and David were like not a very good couple. They had a lot of drama. They had a lot of drama and not in like a good way. Like no. I feel like they just don't seem to enjoy one another's company very often, like during the course of the show. Like you just there's this this very tense vibe of like I wouldn't want to like be in their home. They have that one moment where they reconnect. Remember when they're talking when they, about all like the good times or whatever, and I'm like, man, I, I don't remember any of those yeah. good times that you're describing. I remember a lot of fighting and a lot of like there tension was, and physical. Yeah, like there was like the time. Yeah, there's like yeah, like they had a lot of ups and downs, and I, and I appreciate that they tried to work through their problems. And I guess the most optimistic thing we can say is that we imagine that they had worked through a lot of their problems and now are in a healthier place. But yeah. they did have that one time when they went on vacation to, like, that kind of crappy, like, I don't know, like, the it's like a resort, but it's just, like, a tiny hotel that you're, like, trapped in with, like, a swimming pool. What was that place, even? Yeah, I don't remember. But, but what you're talking about. they remember they go on vacation, and then they're, like, in their room, and remember they were, like, pounding on the wall, shouting, like, we're gay in here. And, like, and then they even, like, sang together. Mm-hmm. That was, like, one brief moment where I feel like they were, like, having so much fun. Yeah. But even on the ride home from that vacation, they immediately, like, started fighting again as, like, real life came, like, crashing down upon them. Yeah. Exactly. Let's talk about Claire's. We already talked about how she ends up with, like, the incredibly, like, straight-laced, like, surprising guy. But, I mean, maybe he just seemed so good to her... In comparison to the incredibly terrible guys that she was with before. I mean, because, like, okay, when we first meet her, remember Gabe? Well, she's with Gabe when she finds out. Isn't she, like, doing, like, crystal meth or whatever? Yeah, she's, like, doing crystal meth at Gabe's behest when she that finds, when she out, finds out that died. her father has died in the car crash at the beginning of the show. Like, so right from the beginning, you know, and, like, I think there is a, <laughs> again, you're talking about the reoccurring themes, the... I think the show kind of find, finds it endlessly amusing to get the Fishers high in various scenarios where they shouldn't be high. <laughs> like, yes. They also, I feel like over the course of the show, they use a lot of, like... Remember the mom yes. takes ecstasy in the woods. Well, with, I was going to say, they use some, like, pretty serious drugs over the course of the show. Crystal meth, ecstasy, uh, what else was there? What, there, was, there was more than that. There was... Ketamine or something. Somebody's in a K hole. Yeah, point. I think that there were some weird. There were some various like pills and other things that like I wasn't even sure exactly what they was were. Wasn't Gabe smoking crack also? I uh, yes. Or no, 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 and then there was the embalming fluid mm-hmm. too. That's oh, the it. thing where they dipped the joint in the embalming fluid and that one guy like yeah. collapsed at school mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a lot of stuff that like. Whew. But same, yeah, same move. but remember when Claire steals the foot to like get back at Gabe? I know that was a, that, that was, was so like inventive and exciting. <laughs> that was one of the one of the more out of pocket things that Claire ever did. But yeah, she, I mean justified, of course. I mean he 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 ruined her reputation at school. But it was also related. It was thematically correct. I it see was. why you appreciate it. I appreciate it. That it was like that was a very like correct revenge. I'm just I'm shocked that she was able to get away with that. I mean, I know Keith Keith helped like clean it up, but still. Yeah. Well, Keith Keith was supposed to help with David's arrest in Las Vegas too. Yeah, it didn't totally. But he might have been mad at David at the time. That's <laughs> true. Maybe he didn't do as good a job though. I'm just saying. <laughs> 
But yeah, we got Gabe, um, then we got... Uh, and then we have Russell, Russell, of course, which, I mean, just... Russell seemed fine until he wasn't. Yeah. I mean, I guess we could say that about a lot of people, but... And then, of course, we have Billy. Oh, my gosh, yeah. What is there? I guess that those were her main relationships, yeah. I guess. And then we should we should definitely talk about Ruth's relationships too, though. I mean, we've got Nikolai, and we got Ed Bagel. What is Ed Bagley Jr.? He is the hairdresser. The hairdresser. And then we got Hiram. Uh, Hiram, yes, very good. Which... Um, and then of course we've got George Sibley. But then don't forget about her. The weird. Relationship she has with Arthur before George. Oh yeah, we forget about Arthur. Yeah, that was an interesting turn for Rain Wilson for. Yeah, another another, he... another guest star from The Office because mm-hmm. we talked about the Jenna Fisher character. Well, they have the same they have the same uh, casting agent. What I've that learned from sense. reading books about movies and TV shows is anytime you see that happen, it's because they have the same the casting agent, agent has the same cadre of people that they oh, like yeah. to bring in for things. But it's also like obviously a great so, casting agent, of course, clearly. Um, but yeah, that that was that was an interesting storyline because I felt like. If things hadn't gone sideways with him and, and Ruth and, and being accused of being the um, person sending the uh, excrement mm-hmm. to George or, or them or whatever, uh, he could have been, I feel like, a permanent character. He was on the he was living in their house. Well, he could have been an interesting replacement for Rico, too, if Rico mm-hmm. had, like, imploded. You know, like, if Rico had Infinity had just, like, gone off the rails or whatever. Exactly. like. I thought he would have been a perfectly interesting... But because he nuzzled like, Ruth and then he was falsely yeah. accused. <laughs> but I feel yeah, like... I also blame him kind of for Ruth's marriage... Her, for Ruth's quick marriage to George. Just because... With him, it's like the relationship flopped so badly. And he was sort of like age inappropriate for her. So then, of course, when someone that seems okay and is like appropriately like category categorized for her like comes if I along, was her, she just if like I was one of the kids like, and I was told that he was going to be my new stepfather, it's like I don't think so. <laughs> right. Yeah. But you know what I mean. Like I think she just runs right into George's arms after that. True. And that ends up being kind of a huge mistake. Although it comes around. Why does it come around? Just because he sticks around for a long time? Yeah, well, no, I just mean, like, okay, it seems like they've broken up and everything, but then by the end, it's like, he's supporting her in her time of grief. More like, just, she's probably just too tired to, like, go out and find anyone else, I mean. Maybe, but I also kind of, I mean, more optimistically, I like to think that, I mean, he's gotten well. Hopefully he'll stay well. He is doing the right thing and trying to be there for her, even if it's for partially selfish reasons. True. She needs somebody. Yeah. And so it's it's good that there's somebody there, mm-hmm. you know? Indeed. And maybe they end up being an okay couple. I mean, before before he like went down into the bomb shelter, I think that she was liking Why did you being even with have him. A bomb shelter? <laughs> that poor woman, she definitely dodged a bullet there. Right. <laughs> but um like who's your favorite character in that show? Like you said, it's an ensemble. It's really hard to pick a favorite. Not like, okay, not not like you don't have to say this is the best character, but just who is the character that you're most fond of? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe Claire. 
I, I like Claire a lot. She's really an asshole, but I do like her a lot. I do like when she goes off on the those poor people at the end that had to support our troops. But Even though that like they're like burying <laughs> someone whose limbs were like literally all blown away. It's like, oh my gosh, Claire, like stop talking. I know. Like I don't I don't fully relate to her, but I she never fails to amuse me, like with like her terrible art and her terrible choices in men and her total self involvement like Yeah. Like no, I, I just I just I you can't you can't look away. She's very like engaging as a character. So I mean they're all engaging though. She it's is. hard it's hard to pick. I mean I like I like her like fantasy of like what's that one where she's in like the sparkly dress or whatever. Oh, when she's working in like the office and she like has the dance number about like the pantyhose like yeah. squeezing her. Yeah. No, no, I like Claire a lot. I don't know. I have a soft spot for David though. <laughs> like he has such a like He's almost like too innocent for me or something. Like he's There's like, something about like an exuberant like boyishness about him that just like makes you kind of want to be I can't even I can't even relate to that like kind of But I like I can't relate energy. to David. I can relate to Claire much more than David. Mm -hmm. But I just I sort of have a soft spot for David cuz I feel like the show sees him kind of as he is. And he's the he's really the like and David is not flawless. I mean, he does some crappy things. I mean, he like has unprotected sex with like the prostitute in Vegas and he, he's, he's not always like a great person. Like he makes some, you know, poor choices for himself and for others. But I think that he is really a good person at his core. Mm -hmm. Like he's just a nice guy, like in his core. And I don't really know if you could say that about any of the other characters. Mm. Oh, one pairing we didn't talk about, I just remembered, was uh, Ileana Douglas and Rico. Oh, wow, yeah. So that was interesting, because she was hired to replace him, and then they, like, hook up at a, like, convention uh, yes. later on, when he's, like, separated yes. from Vanessa. Yeah, I think it's, like, during the time when Vanessa has yet to let him back in after the Infinity Incident, and then... Which I don't think you can really call incestuous, but it's like another case of the show wrapping around itself again. Yes, it's, it coils back around because it is definitely but like... I feel like that's actually realistic. Don't you think that's like mm -hmm. how it is? Like, it doesn't always seem like the same. Like, you, you think people are like temporary, but like somehow they like keep popping back yes. up in your life just because they go. It's like there's only so many people who are in the same age bracketed or economic status or like industry or like exactly i mean like with rico it's like community or like you know like like the, like the same people turn up how many other thing. single funeral directors of like corresponding wanting to go with each other sexuality were even at that conference you know what i mean like first of all i i know that there's like a growing industry of female funeral directors but mm -hmm. still i feel like there's still it less than guys probably and especially at that time uh, i think that she was kind of like a standout and she happened to be like not unwilling to go with somebody at the conference i mean because there's i'm sure there were some other women there that like weren't looking to hook up mm. you know what i mean and like how many guys there were like in that age bracket and like looking to like go with somebody i mean i feel like at those conferences generally when we saw, like, Nate and David interacting with people, a lot of them were kind of older than them. Mm -hmm. Like, I kind of felt like they were the new generation, and, like, a lot of them were, like, more of, like, their dad's contemporaries and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, you remember that when they go and they meet all those guys. It's, like... So I definitely think, like, as far as, like, who was available to, like, hook up with at the conference, of course it would be them. Mm -hmm. You know? Definitely. 
I am glad that that was like a one-off though and wasn't like a long-term thing because that could Yeah, it was appropriate to like have it just be like a short-term thing. And Ileana Douglas was a character that was like nice to see again, but I wouldn't want to see constantly for like the rest of the show. Like she was very, very abrasive. Oh yeah. Like even though I felt for her when they fired her because they did kind of fire her wrongfully, I also understand why they needed to fire her because they just did not want to have to like work with her. Yeah. What else haven't we talked about? I feel like there's so much to unpack. I mean, there every every character in the show has their own like relationship with the other characters. I mean, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. But kind of, I guess, overarchingly though, how do you feel like as far as like is there anything that like your view kind of shifted on due to like maybe either the time that we're in now versus when you originally saw the show, or who you are now, like at the point in your life that you're in versus when you originally saw it. Oh gosh, I don't know. I mean, I definitely thought about death a lot during the course of watching this. That is the one thing that's really hard about the show is that it's like, even though I love the show, I'm going to need to like, take a break from contemplating death so much. Like, like I definitely thought about like, what I would want to have happen to my mm-hmm. remains and stuff. So, I want to be cremated, spread in the ocean, saying it now, so many years may <laughs> play this for people later, <laughs> if you need to. Um, but, well, I mean, every episode begins with a death that we had to fast forward through a lot. Cause yeah, we did skip Lilac most of those scenes this time, yeah. Um, but, yeah, and that, that is, it's hard to kind of, that, that's like a lot. That makes the show harder to binge watch than some other shows. Oh, yeah. But it is, I mean, it is, I think, one of the things that the people in the show deal with is that their relationship to death is so much closer than most people, so they have to think about it. Whereas I think a lot of us have found a way to distance ourselves from it so much. I mean, like when David had fun filling out his prenatal. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, I, I, can see, I can see where they're coming from on that. <laughs> and yet, at the same time, I appreciate the fact that even though they're all so used to thinking about death in a certain arena it doesn't devastate them any less when it happens to someone they love. And I think that that's true. I mean, in my experiences with thinking about what it'll be like when someone dies and then them actually dying, mentally preparing doesn't actually make it less upsetting. No, not if you actually love them. I mean, it's yeah. going to be hard no matter how much you prepare for it. But I think that that's very authentic, the way that it was like, even though they were so used to death, they still experienced it as a crisis. Although, and I understand Nate's desire to want to be planted, but that was so terrible and awkward when Brenda <laughs> had to, like, lift up the canvas bag with Maggie on the other side and, like... Oh, and then you mean when, like, Keith and, like, <laughs> has to, like, slug it over and then yeah. they're just, like, we just, like, slump it into, yeah. like, the hole or whatever. I also felt like... You know what I realized, too, when I was, you know, the the minute ago when you were talking Uh about, like, what you want to have done with you, and Mm -hmm. then I was thinking, okay, so, I've always kind of liked that idea of, Mm -hmm. like, being planted in the earth and going into a tree. Like, I always thought that would be kind of cool, but then I was thinking in the show, that burial ground does kind of become the place of nightmares, because there are several scenes after that burial where you feel like a character is, like in peril and kind of stranded and isolated and lonely and it's like why would you make your loved ones come all the way out here into the wilderness because okay at the end of when they bury nate remember brenda's leaving 
but like everybody else is already driven away and then at first she can't like start her car mm. and it seems like she's gonna be like stranded like out in like the wilderness with like nobody like and that's so scary and then later a few episodes later there's that scene with Claire where she goes to see Nate and then she's like imagining talking to him and then there's like a wild dog or like a cheat like some kind of like a big scary like animal like in the dark like coming for her and it's like mm -hmm. and he's like you got to get out of here and like i know that's supposed to also be about like mentally like her like you know thinking like contemplating death and everything but it's also like literally that kind of wilderness burial has become a very like it's a very scary place for like all the people so that kind of made me like have a little pause and be like you know what like that's a little like i don't know well, I mean, I think the idea of a cemetery, too, is that it's, like, maybe more in a central location. and like, You could safely visit the cemetery there and might not be, be, like, might be eaten by wild dogs, hopefully. Nearby. Yeah. Help, but it's, like, I don't... I definitely would not want to go to a cemetery. I mean, I guess my thought is I don't want my family to be, like, burdened by, like, the arrangements they make for me. So, so I mean, in the universe where money is no object you know of course i'd like my ashes to be like blustered to like the most beautiful place in the world like you know i'd like to be like scattered in like the streets of paris while we like eat chocolate croissants and then like part of me can go like into the ocean beside like a lighthouse or something like in like my fantasy where it's like but in reality it's like sure if like Hopefully, by the time I die, all the people I'm leaving behind are in a great financial situation. It's like everything's going well. But, like, realistically, I really wouldn't want anything that adds, like, extra burden, either financially or emotionally, to the people that are left behind. And so, I mean, like, the whole thing where you have to purchase the plot and then you have to put someone in a canvas bag and, like, dig the hole. Like, mm. even if that doesn't cost more, I feel like that might be emotionally more of a burden to the people you're leaving behind, like, when they're, literally, when they're, there's the part where they're dragging you in the canvas bag, like we were talking about, like, I don't necessarily want to force anyone to do that. I mean, we don't have to go into great detail, but you know what's going on in Greece, right? It's yeah. not good. Yeah, running out of space. Yeah. And you don't even pay for a permanent barrel, you just pay for, like, a certain number of years, and if you don't have enough money to, like, pay for another certain number of years... How you come? We got some other paying customers here. It's it's really okay to greet baby and just bluster me into the wind. It's fine. Well, actually, the reason is because the Greek Orthodox Church doesn't promote cremation. It's tricky. Yeah, it's it's a tricky issue. I think oh. there are a lot of I think there are a lot of people that don't want to be cremated for religious reasons. Because yeah. I mean, if you're if you're from a resurrection standpoint, being cremated could, if you're believing that something's going to happen later for your body, you know, being cremated could be a mistake. Mm -hmm. Sure. So, I mean, I see where people are coming from. It's just, like I said, my main goal, I guess, would be not to burden people unduly. That would be a big burden. So. But is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? I, I mean, know. I know we've been talking about this for a long time. It's just, it's, it's such a good show. There's just, like, so much to think about. Oh, yeah. I was definitely happy that I enjoyed it so much to rewatch. Because, I mean, I think I said this before, but... I've definitely had shows that I liked at one time and then they become like not as rewatchable later. Like I'm just like, oh, I've kind of moved forward in my life. And even though I'm in a different point in my life now, like back when I was originally watching the show, I was like Claire's age. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, I think older than 
Nate is, or I'm, I'm, I'm older than I think he. You're the same age. I'm about the same age as he was at the end of the show. Yeah. So I mean, I've really gone, you know, through like two different categories, but I still found the show very, very. Watchable. Remember, he has like his fortieth birthday or whatever. Yeah. So I mean, I'm like not quite right. as old as him, but I'm more, I'm more his contemporary. Closer whereas, to him than Claire. Now. Yes. Whereas originally I was closer to Claire than I was to Nate. Now I'm closer to Nate than to Claire, but. I still think, even though my perspective has changed in that way, I found the show to still be, like, so rich and, like, there's just, like, so much happening. Claire, I would cut my heart out and give it to you on a platter if you would change anything. Yes, it would. You'd be dead. <laughs> You'd be dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So many good scenes. Right? But, well, thank you for being on the Rob Burgess show again. Oh, you're welcome. I hope you will find your way back here soon. I'm sure. I'm sure I will. I'm sure we'll meet again soon.
Join the Rob Burgess Show mailing list. Go to tinyletter.com forward slash the Rob Burgess Show and type in your email address. Then respond to the automatic message. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review everywhere the podcast is available, including iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, RSS, and now Spotify. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. If you have something to say, record a voice memo on your smartphone and send it to therobburgessshow at gmail.com. Include voice memo in the subject line of the email. Also, if you want to call or text the show for any reason, the number is 317-674-3547. Until next time.